Good morning, everyone. You found us on the map, Mental Health and Addiction Podcast. I am Kimberly Walsh, and I'm here with my co-hosts and good friends, amazing Andy Panda Bernstein, whose birthday it is today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As well as our wonderful Chris Perry Long. Um, just a little hi, everybody. So, um, burnt intro, just so you guys who who aren't aware of what we're doing here. Um, or who are new to the podcast, um, Chris Long has been in this industry for many years. Um, she has dedicated herself to working with families and helping people get into treatment. Andy has been an advocate for changing the landscape of mental health and addiction, both as the producer of Crosscheck Radio with hockey legend Steven, uh, Kevin Stevens and through his own experiences. As for me, I have many years of experience in the recovery industry, and I now own and operate Brady's Landing, a sober home for women on the Cape. We put this podcast together because the three of us are quite passionate about reducing the stigma around mental health and addiction. And we believe that the more light we shed on these topics, the less people will stigmatize and punish those who suffer from mental illness and addiction, which will then help encourage them to seek treatment. So uh, before we get on with today's show, we wanted to let you know if you have a question, please post it on Facebook Live. We'll be monitoring the screen and we'll be able to answer your questions live. Um, and remember to tag friends and share this link with people who might benefit from the information we are providing. So today we decided we wanted to do something different, right, Andy? No guest. No guest. <laughs> Just the three of like us. Like no fans, <laughs> like sports, like no, 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 no yeah. fans. No fans. Just no us. fans. Just us. You think we're going to be okay? Are we going to have anything to talk about? Because we always, you know, have that lapse and no Yeah. Talk. None of us get a, yeah, we can't figure out what to we're, say. We kind of sit here in silence. Yes, we're very so shy. <laughs> Very shy. We are wallflowers. We're wallflowers. <laughs> yeah. Pull this wall leg up like jingle bells. So, yeah. um, so we haven't done this since January, right, Andy? Yeah. Six yeah. months. Can you believe it's been six months? No. Wow. Wow. I know. Andy, has it been that long? It yeah. has. Actually, it has. longer than six months. It has we, been. That yeah. Long. No, it's six months because we started in December at my uh, kitchen table. That's right. That's right. Before you and I, you started in, in September, I think, right? Earlier, August. Oh, my God, August. Okay. So we're coming up on a year. So um, the good news is that thanks to our listeners, we are actually getting, um, we're starting to gain traction on this podcast. We've got over a thousand views on some of our Facebook Facebook episodes alone. And, uh, and now that we are on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn, that number is just going to yeah, that's a good thing. We're, we're getting out there and we're getting some really cool guests with some really cool stories and insight on the whole mental health and uh, addiction, which, you know, I, I we can't express enough how important it is to talk about things that um, people aren't aware of, um, you know, or don't understand. And that's why our audience's input and questions and requests are so important. Yeah, like we'll start giving away prizes next time. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love that. This is a giveaway. Okay, okay. Uh, be the eighth caller and you'll win. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's uh, awesome. Yeah, no, we do. We want to shed some light on the on the on the topics that are most important for everyone out there. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So um, we want to get started. Let's check in first, shall we? Yes. All right. Chris, you want to go first? How are you doing? Um, I'm doing okay. It's getting scary out there. Um, right now, I'm working um, with a class action suit 
uh, for big. You're getting fun. sued. No, no, no. I'm working oh, on okay. a class action suit, um, oh, okay. helping families determine if they have um, the ability to uh, some funds that may come of a class action suit against Purdue Pharma. And um, in order to do that, you, the one thing that you that you have to you know that has to be is that you had to have been prescribed opiates. And the stories that I am getting from families that I'm, you know, talking to, and they're crazy. They're like 14. They had their wisdom teeth taken out and they walked out with Percocets for pain at 14. And nobody explained to them, you know, these are addictive. Um, I have parents that are in recovery um, from a long time ago that were prescribed you know, it's just, it's, it's just, it's heart wrenching. Cause you know, you think you're kind of past it and you're, you're on your, that next wave that people aren't getting those opioids anymore. They're not getting the prescriptions, but they're still getting the prescriptions. It's still happening. Doctors are over prescribing. And I don't understand with all these safety nets in place, how this is still happening. So um, it's been a tough week. I'm not going to lie. It's the stories are uh, they're heart wrenching, um, and they're, they they go deep. Um, they go really deep. Family roots. So I think it, that the big pharma, I, big pharma, don't get me started. I agree with you. I mean, they should be punished ad nauseum, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, so that's great. Andy? I heard they were going to open up treatment centers. Actually, big pharma, Purdue Pharma. I was reading that they were looking at getting the treatment center industry. How about oh, that? Oh, okay. Sure, I'll that? send my kid there. <laughs> right? That's like a virtual, uh, a vertical monopoly. Here, I'm going to get you hooked, and then yeah. I'm going to open up a treatment center to help you get off what we put together. Yeah, Pete and repeat. Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes. How is this possible? Okay, so, um, Andy, uh, yeah. how have you been doing? Something, tell me something good. Well, today's my birthday. I know. I'm so excited about that. Um, I think that uh, I think the world's cuckoo right now. Absolutely <laughs> cuckoo. I mean, I was watching TV last night. M- mistake number one. I was watching <laughs> CNN and the the what's going on in Minnesota is unbelievable. I mean, I don't know. It's it, it's just it's scary. So. But other than that, I'm good. Um, and I, uh, I you know, I love doing this show with you guys. So I, uh, um, I'm glad we're going to take some time to actually just kick it, kick it, <laughs> kick it, uh, uh, chop it up, like the kids I, say. <laughs> I love uh, it. Chop it up. Um, I actually wanted to share an article. Please do. Um, it's, it's actually a press release that I, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about getting media, and we've been talking about getting. Um, you know, companies of and, and people to help expand the word about mental health and, you know, the importance of um, maintaining good mental health and addiction um, treatment and, and, you know, obviously funding in a lot of ways is uh, a barrier to entry for some people, um, for a lot of people. So there's a, this was a press release that came out yesterday. Uh, Mindful Philanthropy is a national resource that of its kind, the first of its kind to expand philanthropy for mental health, addiction, and community well-being initiatives. 
And basically the idea is they're going to try to, um, in partnership with a number of other organizations, they're going to try to maximize donor impact through strategic giving. And they're coming up with uh, new and interested donors to subject matter experts and experienced behavioral health funders um, as they kind of consider high impact funding. And then they're increasing their overall investment in uh, behavioral health programs. And so Mindful Philanthropy collaborates with foundations who are focused on behavioral health or working in adjacent areas like education, poverty, criminal justice reform, and health equality. And so they're trying to initiate and develop new support programs. And so um, the founder for this organization is always to provide guidance that is formed by best available experience and actionable. But without going too far into it, because it's lengthy and we have other things to talk about, I will say that um, it's great that there's an organization out there that's really committed to helping raise funds for addiction and mental health. And we need more of those kind of organizations to kind of almost work hand in hand with it, mental health and addiction, not just addiction or mental health. So. That's good. Because they generally coexist, right? And they're usually one and the other, um, most cases. Yeah, that is great, Andy. That's a real positive article. I like that. Yeah, I don't know if Mike put it on the screen, but what either we'll have it on the website if not but uh or not our website but our facebook page but good stuff there so kudos to them mindful yeah right yeah yay finally yay mindful lantern (laughs) (laughs) chris do you you have you want to go you want to talk about your article my article (laughs) i have an article you you okay I'm sorry. I was just sharing. So I was listening, but why why don't we hear your point of view, Kimberly? All right. (laughs) Sounds good. So um, I was pulling up, uh, looking at different articles and wanted to find obviously something um, uplifting and uh, inspiring. And so, and that, and that will reduce the stigma of mental illness and addiction. Um, I came across an article about the 21 highly successful people who um, have mental health or addiction issues, um, which I found fascinating because at the top of the list was Abraham Lincoln, who I just did not know. He was at clinical depression and PTSD. How did they, uh, yeah. how did they know back then? <laughs> well, uh, he said that he was, he was melancholy and if he was alive today, that he'd be uh, diagnosed with clinical depression. I thought, fascinating. Um, and as we know, some of our guests uh, obviously have, have had that. And, um, Chris um, Sullivan, right? Um, from the Patriots. Also, yep. Ben, yep, yeah. And Ben Zobris from, uh, he's a two time World Series champion. Um, yep. With the Charles. Kansas City Royals, Chicago Chris, Cubs. Uh, uh, Kevin Love from the Cavaliers. And yeah. I mean, there's a ton of people, right? Ton. I think, right. I honestly think that we all have depression at some point or another. It's just how we cope with it. And sometimes, you know, like the going into the whole duel and stuff, you know, I have a a person that I'm working with. We get the addiction under wraps. He starts building up that self-esteem, starts feeling good. And then the depression creeps back in. And then you have to use the addiction to snuff the depression out because you don't know how to deal with it. And it's finding that, that 
that working path, you know, that two-way road that they're going to work together instead of just a one-way road. It's really hard. Um, it's, hard. it's really hard. That's still diagnosis, right? I mean, really, mm-hmm. which is our boy Willie is a, yeah. th- a yeah. therapist on it. He treats that yeah. because mental health is really the under the the overarching issue. Right. Once you once you diagnose the, you can deal with the addiction, but once addiction is is dealt with, then the underlying um, behavior, or mental illness shows up, or it doesn't. So it's either situational or it's chronic. And that's yes. What, <clears throat> that's that's why they recommend going to a therapist at the same time as you're getting sober so that you can kind of deal with that as it comes up. Well, so that's my question. I mean, you have a gym, you go to work on your body. People go to work on their body. Why wouldn't you go to a gym for your mind? I agree. Right. I mean, what's the, why is that a bad thing to work on your mind? It's not. People just live with it. They think that it's, it's somehow normal. Like I don't know how many cases I've heard where people said, I thought this is how it's supposed to feel. I didn't realize life could be this good, <laughs> you know, after they get on, you know, their meds or whatever they've, they've done to alleviate that. But it, yeah. I'll, you know, so. what's kind of lacking in, in this whole recovery type of thing. What's so, that, people, Chris? People, so, you know, you go through the detox then you go through the, the 30 day and then some people go into IOP. So at most, depending upon your insurance, cause we know insurance rules all, or your financial status, you can either get 45 days before you go into like a sober living um, home. And that also, you know, there are all different kinds of sober homes or you might get six months depending upon your insurance or your finances. Then they go out and they live the real world. I think what we need to do is we need to have uh, programs throughout the States throughout the country where, you know, so somebody goes in and they do their, their program and they go back. Now they're back in life, you know, now what, now what, where's that, that, Oh, let me go in and I can sit in a, I can drop in and I can sit in a, you know, they have these recovery centers and they're great and they're wonderful. They're focused on jobs. They're focused on, you know, they do do the groups and that kind of stuff. But what if we had something that was, you know, after cancer, you got to go in for a six month checkup. You got to go in for a three month checkup. Then you got to go in for a six month checkup. Then you go in for a nine month checkup. Then you go in for a year checkup until, you know, you get whatever it is that they decide that with whatever type of cancer you have until you don't have screens anymore. What if we were to set something up where you, you exit that program? Okay. You know what? In three weeks, you got to come in and we're going to do, we're going to check literacy. on you. We're, right. right. We're going to check in on you. And you know what? If you're, if you're, having a hard time, then we're going to reboot you. And that's then what we'll IOP should out. be, Chris. That's what IOP is supposed to be. Like they can go to IOP. What is IOP? Oh, oh, sorry. Intensive outpatient, outpatient therapy. therapy. Okay. So it's like group therapy after you've had treatment. So okay. you go to, in the 30 day bubble, like I like to call it, then you go for another, could be six months and you're supposed to be checking in first at five days a week, then three days a week, then one day a week. Um, and then, there, then you go to a sober home. So this whole process, like Chris said, should be as long as possible it should be at least a year because people aren't ready unless they have a year under their belt. They're, they're really not ready. Generally speaking to go back out into society. I have and a question. And today's society is going to be really scary for these people getting out of treatment. Go ahead, what, would, what would you say if you could break it down? Cause I, I don't know, but what would you say the number one 
challenge facing somebody who's coming out of recovery and trying to rebuild? What would you say the number one real life issue that affects people? I think it's the trigger stigma. The stigma. The stigma. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't. So the stigma can look like anything. It can be a trigger. It can be you know, you go back to work and you feel good and you're ready to conquer the world, but you've got the and did you hear back? And, you know, and that just starts to, it eats away at you and you're like, okay, but I'm good and I'm happy, but they're still talking about you in the coffee room or the break room. And they're not inviting you out for lunch after because they're going to have a beer and they, you know, it just will start breaking you down. But what about from a practical, from a practicality standpoint, like, like I've known people in recovery who are starting over and your problems are still there, right? Of it's course. Just, you're just in recovery. So my question is, is it, you know, we've had, you know, in my past life, um, my past uh, production, we had financial literacy experts come on to talk about um, restoring your credit or, yeah. or you know, how, how do you buy a home? What kind of continuing education services are out there um, type of thing? So, you know, do you see that there's an, uh, a, a value in that to have those kind of um, discussions? And do treatment centers actually focus on that at all? Of course. And in the program, too, and you remember, they would be with their sponsor. So aside from the, from the outpatient uh, services that they're getting, they should be going to recovery centers that are you can find basically in most cities. Most towns, they have recovery centers that you can go for, for, for financial advice for all kinds of things. On the Cape alone, we've got services that for free, you can go talk to an attorney about family law, any, any, anything you need, they'll, they'll provide it for you. So there are services out there, the quality, I don't know, I can't speak to that, but yeah, there's a, there, it would be great and it is available for them to go and uh, find out what, what they need to do to continue uh, in their sobriety. And to Kristen's point too, I wanted to say, that that there's if they're hanging out with and becoming friends with and starting to move in a social group of their peers they're they're probably hanging out with sober people hopefully that's the goal so hopefully they will kind of be away from the stigma but it, it does still happen a huge issue as well i think there's you know i mean i think there's like in my job in the outreach and in working with other treatment centers i keep discovering more and more services that are available <clears throat> um to people but I've been doing this for like a long time and I'm still discovering new services. I've obviously they're starting to pop up and everything else. There's really not one place that you can go. It's like Sam says, great. I'm not knocking it, but there's not one place that you can go that has everything. It's not, it's not easily accessible. <clears throat> right. Right. Or user friendly or user friendly. Or user friendly. So like SAMHSA, you know, you got to fill out all this stuff and, and it's great and you can find whatever. Typically all that stuff takes you to like a 188 number. They call you back and then that whole process starts and <clears throat> it can't be that way. Like sometimes people need instant services. Like they need, that's why my phone number is like out there. If you need something, you can call me. Call <laughs> I'm going to talk you off the ledge and we're going to, we're going to work on whatever it is that you need to be worked on. There's not enough of that. There's some fantastic recovery coaches that are out there. Yeah. Um, but who are they? You are, you are Jeff Wilsberg, <laughs> who we had on was such, right. 
without a lot of things. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've I've been I've been interviewing with advocates actually as a family partner, I think something like that. Family advocate. I don't know the exact title. I forgot. Um, Like a recovery coach, sort of. Yeah, but it's for the family. So it's like for the family part of it, which is really cool. It's really exciting. But you know what's what's even more amazing is what they do is they surround the family. So it would be one person, but they work as a team and they have all these services. And it's a great um, segue for families that have loved ones that are going into treatment or coming back from treatment. But I didn't know about that until I dove into it, until I went to their website. I didn't even, I knew they existed from other people. But I didn't know exactly what it was that they offered. Well, that's just it, though. I mean, that's what what's the sponsors and these programs are supposed to be guiding the um, the addict, the former addict, to to these places so they can sign up, so they can get help. It's not so it's not going to be easy because that's just how our government works. It's not like it's not instant gratification. If they could all call you and get what they wanted, I'm sure they would. <laughs> and you right. probably lose Chris somewhere, you know. But they, but they, but they absolutely need to do these things. That they just need to be direct, pointed in the right direction, and understand that it's going to be frustrating. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to take a while. I walked through this with one of my clients. We, you know, she needed food stamps. She needed some, you know, she needed help. So we went on the website. We got it. And she, she was called back, I think, the next day, and she had food stamps and money within five days. So I mean, that it worked. I mean, there's Take, takes the pressure pressure off. Absolutely. It's one less thing. Yeah. But I have a question. So, you know, we talk about sober people working with being with sober people, but do you think that, you know, we talk about ending the stigma. Do you think that people, um, that it would be helpful for, you know, maybe having some mentors out if the stigma wasn't so high or prevalent, do you think that having mentors in the, the normal mainstream might actually even be helpful as well. In other words, just closing yourself off to sober people. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Absolutely. Like you're talking like a recovery coach, right? Mentor, sponsor. Yeah, but maybe not even like, do you see that it would make sense to have somebody who, you know, maybe a business, somebody in a professional career setting, not just a sober person, you know. Like a life coach. like the life coach, like that, maybe not it's in sobriety that right. never went in the recovery, but like, okay, you know, how do I, you know, cause if I'm retraining myself, everything, how do I, how do I get myself, um, you know, uh, more into the mainstream, not like, the mainstream. I don't need to be I up somebody that has life experiences, you right. know, yeah. So like, yeah. I'm not in recovery. Right. 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 Neither am I, <laughs> but, right. but I've, but I've lived it. I've had lived experiences. Right. And, and yeah, you know, like when somebody walks out of uh, treatment, how awesome would it be to say, okay, we partnered, partnered, you, to, partnered you up with Joe Schmo. <clears throat> Joe Schmo, you know, um, based on you, you know, I think Joe Schmo would be a really great uh, partner for you. And he, he can go to him for anything type of thing. You know what right. I mean? Like, I think would, I think case management does a really good job in a lot of places, setting them up with the sober living, setting them up with the IOPs, with the OPs, SOAP, all of those things. You know, it's just that it's like um, pre-pandemic, right? When the grocery stores were wiped out, 
there was just wasn't enough supplies. There's, there wasn't enough toilet paper. Like who knew there wouldn't be enough toilet paper? I don't think there's enough people to partner up. That's that what I'm saying. Available for to to fix this. Like it's it's like we're all swimming up the same stream, and there's just not enough stream. It's well, different. It, different people need different things too. Don't forget. Like if you've got high level executives, they're not going to need financial assistance. You know what I mean? They're going right. to want. They're going to want your life coaches, your, your, you know, financial life coaches, motivational life coaches. They, ha- they have these things, but they cost money. They're not a, they're not a, something that's subsidized, you know? So people coming out who, who are homeless, they really don't need this life coach, right? I'll give you a great example of what I'm trying to say. Like, not just wearing the label of all I am is in uh, uh, a recovering substance abuser, right? I, I, I'm a you know, I'm a hockey legend. A, a, a hockey legend. I'm a friend. I'm a brother. I'm a, a, a father, you know, and um, I'm interested in music like a Danny Lynch, right? Or I have, you know, or Willie or Willie or, you know, people who, um, you know, not just wearing that label, you're more than just the label you have. Right. 100%. And recovery. So my, my thought is, and actually being around this for three years, I'm, I'm seeing like, um, Okay, yes, you're in recovery, and that's a great base to start from. But what else can you do to have a rich and full life besides just being in recovery? I, I, I totally get what you're saying. I totally get what you're saying. And that, that kind of comes down to the individual, I think. Like if they just want to have their get well job and just have their life or go back to their kids and just be whatever they want is going to be what, what they're going to focus on. And I think if they really wanted to, um, get back into society and and kind of not have that um, over their head like I'm in recovery. Uh, then they can, you know what I mean? It's all what they it's all what they do with it. We've seen it plenty of times where I wouldn't have known some of the, our guests ever had an addiction problem. This or, is my point, yes, right? Yeah. So, like my former hockey player I worked with who um, had a job as who has a job as a scout, and they promoted him and they put in in the paper. Um, he was promoted to a pro scout, right? Nothing about addiction. So I was so happy for him mm-hmm. that it was just a blurb in the paper. Not former addict or for, right. you know, in recovery. It was just, we've promoted him. And I, I was so excited for him because it wasn't that label anymore. Right. right. It was there, but that's oh. not who he is. Hopefully someday. <laughs> Someday we'll be able to uh, not have that stigma be attached to everything. We're just people. We're not people in recovery. We're not. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, like you're, you know, people are more than just the label they have on them. Right. There's, there's, you know, you can evolve as a person and find new interests and find new people and build a new life for yourself. Yeah. And I don't go around. I don't run around saying, Hey, I was a, you know, I was an alcoholic. I don't, you know what I mean? That's not, you know what I mean? I let people. I don't even me. think of you that way, right? <laughs> like I don't. Honest to God, like I don't see you that way, because um, I just don't. I don't. After all, you know, I just don't have that. Like, don't even think about it. Okay, so you know why you don't think that way? Because because she's she gets it right. She thinks <clears throat> she's she's running a business. She's well-dressed. She has a personality. She's not depressed. She's not like this old miserable, whatever. 
the stigma makes you think an alcoholic is a dark, dirty person. But because she's bright and happy and put together, we don't see it that way. <clears throat> right. Right? So, I mean, that's like how we grew up. I grew up, a heroin addict was that dirty, disgusting person that you crossed the street to go around. Right. Under, under bridges, <clears throat> with needles sticking out of their neck, you know. Right, right. But that's not really what it is anymore. And I think that that's what the biggest struggle is, is, is understanding that, like, that those days are those days are gone. Like those are not, yes, there are people still living under the bridges, homeless that have needles all around them. Did you know that in, this is awful. Did you know that in Boston, they took a basketball court and they fenced it all in and they have tables and whatever else. And you can go into those areas. You have to go into those areas and you are allowed to get high in those areas in Boston. And they've, I heard that. they've, they've just kind of tucked it away in a corner. So here's our, our, our government, no, no names mentioned, the power of, of, to be in our state, just tucks them away in a basketball court and says, get, get high. <clears throat> we don't care. Do what you got to do because we don't want to spread the pandemic. You know, we don't want, we don't want the pandemic spread so you're safe here go do it can you if i get in my car and i drive into boston i'm gonna lose my mind my daughter was telling me about this that's crazy can i I pick back pick back up on something you said about um i forgot exactly what it was but you triggered something for me (laughs) about being functional right changing yes okay so um, I interviewed a guest one time and her, um, her brother died of a heroin overdose. However, he was a, an executive, uh, the head, see the head writer or the uh, something. He had a big job with the Parks and Rec um, TV show. He was a head writer. Wow. And he was totally, totally functional, functional. except he was a, a heroin addict, right. a heroin user. He over he ended up overdosing, but he was at the top of his game as a head writer, right? And overdosed, but you wouldn't have, you know, um, his name's Harris Whittles, um, and his sister Stephanie Whittles, and she wrote a book about it. But I'm just saying, like, like here's a Hollywood guy who's like showing up for work every day and being functional, but is a heroin user, right? Right, right. Andy, same thing. My, when I went in before, I went, my mom told my dad I was going into treatment and my dad looked at my mom and said, for what? <laughs> she, right. Even my own father was like, what are you talking about? I mean, I was that, I was that functional, you know? So right. It, but, but yet inside I was empty, you know? But so it's it, a progressive, right? So over time, yeah. you know, your bottom might've been different than somebody else's bottom. Exactly. Exactly. Right. exactly. And, that you, and you've got to treat each and every person as an individual there. And that's why I think that the country has such a problem handling this. It's because you have to address these things on an individual basis. There are so many different mental illnesses and there are so many addictions and there are so many levels of addiction and there are so many levels of different mental illnesses that you, you have to look at the individual. And that's almost impossible to do when you're, you're throwing everybody into a treatment center Throwing them all into sober living. What works for one isn't going to work for another necessarily. You know? Right. 
Right. I mean, how many people I come across people all the time that should be in treatment. And <laughs> I mean, you would think, I mean, kind of, but you know, they're, you know, until, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is you don't have to lose your house and your car and your family and your friends and your job to say, all right, I'm going to go start dealing with my stuff. Here's, here's, here's something to think about. So been meeting a lot of different families and talking and hearing their stories. This one family has a, a loved one that's been in between detoxes and treatment centers 115 times. Come on. Jeez. 115 times. At that point. Different. <laughs> what do you, what say you? Like 115 yeah. times. Yeah. I can't, I can't, that's just. <laughs> A little much, so, you know. Maybe they're maybe they're just and they're not ready. Clearly, they're not ready to get to get better. You know, so or the problem is just not being addressed, and they're not getting the right tools. That, that and there's a piece. They're too. just going through the process. Nobody's saying, "Hey, you know, you've been here a few times. <laughs> What's going on? Let's well, dig a little deeper." You, you know what? It, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, that's okay. We still have a. Cho- they still have a choice. Like I could have continued going down the scale. I could have lost my home, but you know what? At some point there is, they can take some responsibility. It's not like, you know, at, when they're clear and when they've gone through detox and they've been in tra- treatment for 90 days, they make, they do make a choice, right? You know, they're you still have choice, the choice, right? It's so one plus so one, one step closer to getting it at that point. Right. I mean, yeah. um, you know, um, we had a guest on, I'm, because we're going to get talking about guests in a, in a minute, but um, but we had a, I had a guest on. I did an interview. He was the manager of the Pittsburgh Pittsburgh Pirates. I don't know if you were on our show at that point, Chris, that you came on, but as a guest. But um, Clint Hurdle uh, managed the Pirates, and so. he um, he is. I'm getting production uh, messages while we're talking, but um, Clint Hurdle played for the in the major leagues. He um, was a uh he's in recovery for 20 some years and you know he always says you know you relapse it's just one step closer to recovery and yeah i mean that that's what he, that's what he says and uh you know and it's uh but again he talks about i'm a husband i'm a father i'm a son i have you know a job i have to manage people and things like that so Anyway, I just wanted to ask that question about, you know, um, the la- wearing the labels. Because that's a, like a big thing that I see. It's like, um, you don't have to wear that label. I mean, you can remember where you came from, right. but you don't have to wear that label forever. No. Right. right. I think, like I said, go ahead, Chris. I think going back to that, to like the, the, the <clears throat> continuous going in and out of treatment centers, you know, the insurances are starting to buckle down and make it more difficult for treatment centers to treat there. You know, there's a lot more accountability, but I think, you know, insurance has an obligation to become educated about substance abuse and mental health. And if they see, you know, Joey going in and out of, in and out of, in and out of, and these claims keep coming in and coming in and coming into their um, insurance, you know, for, to get payment, I think the insurance needs to have a conversation with the treatment center and hey, say, listen, you know what? Not breaking HIPAA here, but you know, Joey's been to 105 treatment centers. You guys need to dig dig deeper. If you, if you, you know, 
if you want to get paid, then you need to dig deeper. There needs to be more accountability on the treatment centers end. Like there are some good treatment centers. I'm not knocking it, but if we're going to fix this, if we're going to, we have, it has to be a collaborative True. motion action. Everybody has to be involved in this. So your insurance has to be involved in this. You know, you have to be involved in this. Your treatment center has to be involved in this. Instead, everybody's always just looking to make that next buck. Well, two two things I wanted wanted to jump in on. Fired fired up. Two things I wanted to say. One, as far as the treatment center, what's the relapse rate for people? You cannot judge the treatment center on that. If you ask somebody and they say, oh, we have an 89%. I went to work for a place and they said, they said they were number one. And they said that. And I said, (laughs) why are you number one? That's what I asked. What makes you number one? I want to know. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Of course not. Because it's a lie. Why would you say that? Right. Why, why is that what you're being judged on? Right. Uh, We're number one. Because people are vulnerable. People are vulnerable and they're desperate. And they call and they say, hey, Andy, what's your relapse rate? Oh, my gosh, that's the best. I'll get cured. I'm going to be, I'm going to go. Let's go. You know, no, that's BS. That's complete. It's it's a marketing tactic. What they they can say that because they they took a poll of their internal staff or something and decided, oh, well, you know, we've got this many people. No, the, the actual number is one in six out of people who go to treatment, one out of six actually makes it, actually stays sober. And that's, and it's, it's actually getting lower, unfortunately. So, so, so it needs to change. It does. But you guys have to remember though, people have to hit their bottom. Like some people have to hit rock bottom. They will not have the motivation or the impetus to get help until they fall and completely lose everything. You have to be an advocate for yourself first and foremost, because if you don't want it, then nobody else can give it to you. You can't, you can't, don't chase people who don't want to be caught. Somebody said, yes, you're right, Andy. We say this in recovery all the time. You as a sponsor, you can't work harder on their recovery than they do. (laughs) You're setting yourself up. We as parents cannot save our children. And that, until you guys have kids, that is the biggest. Kimberly and I having kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Claudia would like that. Spot. That yeah, right. Andy. <laughs> Happy birthday! Thank you. Hey. <laughs> um, but as a parent, you know, um, being told very early on. I had, I had to do what I had to do before I could accept the fact that I couldn't save my kids. Once I accepted that I couldn't save my children, my life changed drastically. Like I went down a different road and, and in turn, my loved ones lives changed. And that's how their recovery, that's really kind of when I let go and I cut that umbilical cord and I stopped duct taping it over and over and over again. When I stopped, you know, every time they went into treatment, going and getting them cigarettes or dropping off clothes or enabling, right. When I stopped doing that, you know, and, and I always tell families, you know, when they call, I'll say, I love you and I'll be here when you're ready for help. And when they're doing the right thing, I will support you, but I'm, I'm living my own life. And And even now, you know, 
in recovery. Um, my daughter's got four years. My son's coming up on two years. Um, there's still, there's still that, you know, they still try to manipulate you. They don't realize it, but it's in everyday life things. And I have to stop and say, wait, is this best for me? You know, I have hard to, to do too. It is it's your child, but if you don't set boundaries, they're going to keep on. Get that's across the board, whether it's in recovery or not. Yeah, you're right. Recovery or not. But no, I, want to tell you, I want to tell you, though, because um, quick aside. So my sister, she uh, she has a son she enables. She's done it for years. Finally, it got to the point where she's like, all right, well, now I got to move, right? Because she has to move. And she's like, well, I can move her on this side of town because it's easier for him because he doesn't drive. I said, are you crazy? I said, he's 24 years old. You got to start, in my opinion, you need to start making choices for yourself and your long-term yeah. future than, you know, catering and enabling him because he's never going to move forward in his life because he's going to continue to rely. Of course, if someone is doling out cash to you every day and you were just able to do whatever you wanted, and, and right. trick, why wouldn't you? Especially in an addict mind, you know what I mean? You don't, you don't really realize that you're, hurting them or anything but they're addicts this is what they do and they're good at it he's a religious <laughs> addict and a food addict right he's okay. a, he nevertheless <laughs> yeah he's an addict I, I walked with him on the streets of brookline when he was visiting he goes i gotta go to the synagogue just out of the random i gotta go pray right it was just like a like something to divert myself from being in my own head oh yes he, and he feeling always... my own my own stuff i gotta go and then, yeah, and that's just it. That's what they, that's what all addicts want. They don't even realize it, but you are, you know, you're spending your life, you're avoiding these feelings. Oh my God, I ha I don't feel good. I need something to make me feel better now. And I, and shopping, goes, sex, whatever, 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 gambling, whatever feels good. Gambling. Yeah. It's like, gambling. I can't. that's going to be, that's going to be interesting. So Nevada is going to be opening up, I think next week, Las Vegas. Woo. And they can only have like X amount of gamblers and um i mean i kind of like to, i know right i kind of would like to be a fly on that wall to see how they're going to do it because because can you i don't even oh my god yeah it's, it's going to be mind boggling trying crazy. to figure out how some things different things are are going to be opening up i mean i thought i had a haircut appointment today it's not until the end of next month <laughs> But yeah. I was talking to my hairdresser and she was saying, you know, like all the things that they have to do in order to open, you know, they have to sanitize in between each client and they have to, they have to. Dog grooming. Yeah. It's like, it's insane. The stuff that they have to do. How are they, how are small businesses like that ever going to make it? They have to have disposable aprons, you know. They need a patio and outdoor deck. Literally, we, 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 the, so <laughs> it's so back to the scary. Yeah, no, that is scary. But I mean, but back to the things we can do, like what are, what's the solution? So we've got friends, we've got loved ones, we've got addicts who need help. What, are, what, what can we do to help them What a practical approach? Right. Kristen, what do you think? So I think, you know, um, learning how to meet them where they're at. Um, what, what does that look like? What does that look like? So that means that you really kind of, you know, you, you, when you're meeting somebody or you're talking to somebody, I have a lot of people that I've never met that I've, it's all done by telephone. And, um, you know, it's, it's asking those uncomfortable questions. It's being honest with them. 
you know, hey, I have to ask you, ask you some questions so I know how I can best help you. Um, it's not telling them what they need to do. It's learning how to kind of suggest with it what would probably be the best and how can I help you achieve that goal. Setting achievable goals. Um, you know, I've got a lot of people that they don't even have the GEDs and they're in their late 20s and early 30s. Let's get that GED under your belt. You know, like that's a huge achievement. That's going to open more opportunities for them later in life. Um, Absolutely. But what if they're still like, they're, they're actually deep. I mean, that's not when you would introduce it. You introduce that when they're ready, right? They would yeah. say, okay, I've got, well, it's, I've it's got setting goals, right? It's setting goals. Like, so you get to know the person that you're working with, you, you know, it's all these different goals. I mean, reunification with a child, these kids, we have more kids, little kids that have been appropriated by people that have suffered from substance abuse. than we have a lot, we have a lot of little babies in the world. Um, and it's working on those reunifications and, and putting hope back into somebody's, you know, in somebody's life. You know, you walk out of treatment and it's very daunting to walk out and to, to go from being told when you can do A, B, and C to having to learn what your new A, B, and C looks like and how to do it and how to stay in that routine and, and have accountability when there's nobody there to keep you accountable. Um, so, Chris, would you say, sorry, would you say that um, when, when they come to you, when people uh, come to you, what, especially the children who have parents, like I've got several women who are just absolutely devastated because they think their children aren't going to forgive them. But it's so true, right? They will absolutely forgive you. They want you to that's, get better. They, that's I, the wanna, disease. I want them to know that. Right. That's the disease. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, okay. Lived, Sorry. Lived experiences, right? So I raised my, my grandchildren for five years. They came to me when they were two and four, right? Two and four. And now we're working on reunification. Guess what? Those little kids, they don't care. They don't remember. Yeah, you know what? My, my grandkids, they have a little bit of some, some stuff, some, you know, some, a little bit of traumas. It wasn't intentional traumas. It was just because their parents were in the throes of their addiction. And they never not loved their children. Their addiction just was more powerful than, you know, their parenting. Um, they never put them in jeopardy or anything like that. It's just, you know... So we work through those, you know, I make sure that the kids have the therapies that they need. I help other women and, and guys, you know, learn how to work on reunification and what that looks like. It's about consistency. Um, you know, they, an addict wants self-gratification, instant self-gratification. Um, they love when, when somebody is, is on a run and using, they love the, the game of, how am I going to get the money? Then I'm going to get the drug and then I'm going to get the feeling. They love that. That's an adrenaline rush for them. That's, that's what they chase. Then they get it, they relax and it just starts over and over and over again. So it's the same thing. I want my kid back in my life today, right here, right now. Well, guess what? That's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen because that's just how it doesn't happen. That's just what happens. It doesn't happen that way, but we're going to do it. We're going to do the work that you need to do, but you need to be consistent. And when you get a couple of weeks in of, you know, whether it's sending texts or talking to the mother or the father who has custody or the grandparent who has custody of the child, talking to them and maybe not being able to talk to your child right away, but talking to them consistently, consistent, you know, it comes together and it builds up that, that hope and it builds you up. So it's, it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, it can happen. 
And so, you know, I think whether you're in recovery or you're not, I mean, we're just all on a journey here. And I think life is um, one day you just don't figure it out. I mean, one day, you know, it's like, oh, in six months, I figured it out. Oh, in a year, I figured it out. It's like, it's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing of evolution. It's an ongoing um, digging deep and peeling back the onion, whether as, as people, you know, uh, today, today's my 50th birthday. I've said that before. Um, Happy birthday. Thank you. And I looked at FCRS. So we'll keep, I I do FCRS, but I was looking at, you know, my wife is like looking at photos. She's trying to prepare something for me or, and we look at the photos. I look at the photos of my life and I'm like, wow, I have a rich fulfilled. I have a rich full life um, with, you know, being a husband, friend, father, brother, you know, all this stuff, father to Bailey and, um, my dog. And, and what I realized is, is that, you know, this didn't happen from one day to the next and I'm far from perfect, but I do the work every day, every week. I do the work. I continue to try to be a better person. And I think, you know, like we were saying, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, somebody in, in who's struggling or somebody's in recovery, it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. Right. And you're going to have bumps and bruises and starting over is hard work. And you may not be, if you move into a new apartment, you may not be able to furnish your whole place at one time. You may have to mm-hmm. get a new bed and things like that, or, or scrap and claw to get what you need. But you know what? It's yours. It's like, you're, are you saying like, it's the journey, not the destination? That's right. That, yeah. that, right. It's like from one day to the next. Okay. Well, I really screwed up. So I'm going to go out. I know someone, I know he, he struggled and he's like, all right, I'm going to make this happen and I'm going to make it happen quickly. Well, guess what? That person relapsed all, all the time to make up for lost time. And it's like, no, you have to be prepared to ride this out. Like I can look back over an 18 year period um, of where my life was just as a young guy who didn't really have my act together to now. And I look at it and I'm like, I've done a lot of work over the years. Right. And I continue to do it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And, and grow relationships and be transparent and have, have real discussions with people and not afraid to get difficult topics on the table. And, and you and get rewarded it. for that, right? That's Again, right. To own your stuff. You get rewarded for that by having those fulfilling relationships. That's right. And, and I always say, and I'll just, you know, for what it's worth, leaders don't blame, right? If you're, you don't blame, right? If it's on your watch, it's yours. You have the decisions to go where you want to go. You have free will. You can think about things ahead of time, not be impulsive. Make sure you're, you know, weighing the facts, right? So no one shows, no, I totally agree with you. No one shows up. No one finally one day opens the, you know, opens their eyes and go, I have arrived. You know, no one doesn't work. Doesn't work like that. Like I don't have to do any more work. I'm I'm good. good. Ben Ben Roethlisberger had a rape charge against him that got dropped. But he's like, in like three months, four months, I've changed. I've figured. No, you haven't. You don't get enlightenment <laughs> over a six-month period. You do not become enlightened and self-aware over a six-month period. But right. I think people, you know, come out of treatment all of a sudden, I got the magic bullet, right? Yeah. It's not. Yeah. You want them to be happy, but you don't want them to be disillusioned, right? You don't want them to be running out there. Hey, I can go back and 
I can go back to my job. I can go back. No, 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 no. You need the happiness is an internal thing. It's like I could sleep at night knowing that I'm not sleeping on a street or looking for drugs or stealing money. I can sleep at night because I know that I'm sober. And you know what I'm saying? Like somebody can like literally like take pride in the fact that they're taking a single step and not. Yeah. That's just it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so um, good topics. (laughs) <laughs> they we are gotta talk topic. about it. We got to break down. We got another say. We got to. We got a little. Uh, do this again. <laughs> do a little. Re- we do, and we got a little recap too, right? Of our past shows. Yeah. Good. Let's hear it. All right. So my question to you guys is: Who's our favorite guests over the time? Now they've all been great. That's had- not fair. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> okay, then we'll. I eat birthday cake. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we, no, like the, but we so, love them all <laughs> they all have great stories but if you could encapsulate one guest that had that made the most impact on you and on, okay personally like what you thought from that that episode you you per, in particular resonated what you, with you what do you take okay, from okay. it okay okay that's better that's good go ahead chris what do you think what which one go resonated? Ahead, chris, put it on me first <laughs> that's right you deserve oh, <laughs> I mean, I liked when we had Charles and Beth on because it showed the, you know, they're both, they both have uh, addictions as well as the mental health and, and allowing them to kind of freelance. Um, it was fun to, not fun, but it, I found it to be interesting to sit back and watch them banter and talk and compare and, you know, it was, it was good. I don't know. I mean, they're all really good. They all have a little bit of something. I, I love talking and learning about all these different people because they offer one more ingredient to what I consider to be like, not the cure, but to whatever, you know, eventually I'm going to, I'm going to cross paths with somebody that I'm going to have a similar, they're going to have a similarity to somebody's story. So, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I don't think but, I, but, I can't put on it, Andy. Who's your favorite, Andy? Do tell um, Okay, so I think about it from my standpoint and what I'm personally trying to do with this world of, of you know, talking about mental illness and addiction and, you know, self-evolvement and growth. And I, so the person that really resonated most with me was Senator, State Senator Friedman. And I'll tell you why. Because, because Cindy is using, that's how we roll, Cindy. Um, because Cindy is using... Senator Freeman is using her platform to address this and she's passionate about it. And she's in a position where she can impact change because she put, she's gotten there. And so, you know, building consensus and getting people on board to buy, you know, to, to, to rally together to bring this and impact this um, is very admirable to me. And it's inspiring to me that, you know, she's putting it out there. And um, I, I've even read an article. I found her, I, found, I discovered her because she wrote a article in the Globe about an op-ed piece about mental health and addiction and what, what needed to be done. And so I say um, she, was, she was the most impactful to me because it, it inspired me to um, continue on, the, on this path. That, you know, yeah, so that was mine. But Good. yeah. Yeah, so I would say she was my favorite. Okay, awesome. So I guess I'm next. You are next. Um, yeah, actually this one. I, I 
love this. I love when we get to just be ourselves and be real and talk about real topics and be unedited and not so much uh, on our best behavior with the guests. We can actually just kind of let our hair down and really talk amongst the three of us. Cause we, I think that that's, um, I think that's the, that's what this whole podcast is about. Um, so my favorite is this episode today. Am I allowed to wow. do that? <laughs> yeah, I know you've been, you've been itching to do that. And it's funny because, you know, I've gotten to a point where I've done shows for three years, right? I've done between the map and cross check. It's been like 120 shows. I've done over three years and I can honestly tell you almost three years. Um, and I can honestly tell you that having guests while they're wonderful and I am so grateful for them coming on and sharing their stories. It also, um, it's kind of the same story in a lot of ways. It's kind of the same, like, like, and celebrities or, or people of notoriety telling their story. It's cool. And they're being great advocates, but you know, it's, uh, you know, it kind of becomes the same story. So to have conversations like we're doing, I agree with you. And I will also say that um, the other guest that, um, you know, I'm a big fan of hers. I think Beth Beth is just the best yeah. because Beth is such a wonderful person who is so easy to root for, you know, because of her, her vulnerability, her um, her spirit, her, her, you know, gr gratitude, you know, and what she has and the steps she's taken. I mean, this is, this is someone I really greatly admire. So, um, so yay, Beth. <laughs> yay, Beth. Yay, Beth. Yeah. I, I love Beth too. And, and Charles and I love, and Danny and all of our guests. I've loved everybody. I think everyone has their own piece to contribute. I, I couldn't agree more. So is that it for us? Is this it for us? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I think we're at the hour week? mark. Yeah. We will be back, though, next Wednesday. Yes, we will. Yep. <laughs> On the one and only map. The map. Have a great yeah. birthday, Andy. Thank you. Happy Give us birthday, our Panda. Thank you. Give us our Facebook address. Ah, we are www.facebook.com backslash the map 2020. The map 2020. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Have a nice Have weekend. A yep. See ya. See you on Wednesday.